welcome to the wonderful world of NBA playoff basketball here at the Play It As It Lies podcast. And with me, as always, to discuss that playoff is a general basketball genius, the ginger himself, Frank Flacco. How are you doing? Playoffs? Playoffs? Rotom, I, I just want to win one game, and you're over here talking about playoffs. We are over here talking about playoffs, and I wanted to win one game too, Frank. Uh, but sadly... My team won't be one of the teams we're discussing. They uh they lost their game. Uh you know sore subject to be bringing up again. But uh John Morant, God bless you. I'll see you next season. But congratulations to the Trailblazers who made it and finalized group of 16 teams that we're going to be able to talk about here in the NBA playoffs. Frank, you know before we get started, which series are you most excited for? Hmm. You know that's that's tough. Uh, it's a tough question because there is a lot of series, good series on the docket, and frankly. I'm excited to be watching all of them because here we are um, in August heading into September in just a couple weeks, and we have playoff basketball on the television every day, something that, you know, a few months ago we we didn't think was going to happen, and here we are. You know, for that reason, I can't choose just one. But if you have one series that you're excited for, by all means. Well, you hit you hit the the nail on the head there. I mean, it's like your children. You can't pick anyone. And a special thanks to Adam Silver and everyone at the NBA for facilitating such a great bubble. You know, it's crazy to be watching every other sport and seeing players pop up with COVID and players have to step out for many different reasons. But in the NBA, it really has not been much of a problem. So, you know, big props to the NBA and the front office for managing to handle the situation so well. But if I did have to choose one specifically, it is going to be... One of my favorite series is in the past few years, a great matchup of blue and green. It's going to be the three and six matchup on the East, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But since we brought up the East, let's uh, let's get started here with the East with uh, our number one, number eight seed. Frank, you ready? Let's get into the belly of the beast of the East. Aha, is the belly of one Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, representing his Bucks that are currently sitting at minus 10,000 versus the Orlando Magic, the presumptive home team of every single game of the series at plus 1,600. Now, Frank, this is not a matchup of deciding who wins what and not any consideration of even betting on the Magic, but it's really just how long is it going to take for the Bucks to take it? Uh, throughout the season, the Bucks went 4-0 against the Magic by a total of 67 points, an average margin of 16 and three quarters. Uh, both teams ranked in top 10 defensive in points per possession allowed, uh, which is pretty phenomenal to say. But the big thing here is going to be the MVP and all of his stars beside him with Eric Bledsoe, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez all being double-digit scorers. I just don't see a way that the Magic and Steve Clifford, which I've gone on record saying I think this is a fantastic team, and they just got real unlucky to have to face the best team in the league right now. Uh, and quite simply, without Jonathan Isaac, their closest chance of being able to stop Giannis, I don't even see them taking away one game. And, uh, you know, the Magic City Magic are going to have to go back home. Uh, but at least it's not a very far drive, uh, as I see the Bucks in four. How do you see the series shaking up? Yeah, well, it's going to take... Uh... It's going to take quite a bit of magic for Orlando to have any shot of winning a game in this series. And, I mean, the general consensus from everyone seems to be Bucks and four. And that's what you say. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, was it a little concerning that the Bucks were three and five in the bubble seeding games? I mean, maybe a little. They didn't look great. But they basically had the one seed already locked up. And they weren't at full strength in all those games. I mean, they had 
players like Eric Bledsoe and then Giannis in and out of the lineup. But I think they're going to be fresh and ready to go uh, in round one. And I think they, they're going to handle the Magic uh, pretty easily. I, I wouldn't be surprised if all four of these games are, are by a double-digit margin of victory for the Bucks. And, I mean, that's reflected in the odds because, like you said, they're minus 10,000, which is crazy. But it's understandable, honestly. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and I, I think there's just no question about this. This is the easiest matchup the Bucks could have gotten handed. Um, but yeah, you know, that that's Bucks and Fort from both of us. But, you know, as we we're going to move on here, because this is such a basic series, we're going to move on to it to maybe even an easier series here to call. It's going to be the reigning champions from up north and the border playing down south in Florida. The Toronto Raptors sitting at minus 2,200 as the second seed facing the seventh seeded plus 1,000. Brooklyn Nets. Frank, you want to start us off with this one? Sure, I'd love to. I mean, here we have a classic 2-7 matchup where, as you would expect, the two-seed, the Raptors, are heavily favored. Um, and it's hard to see the Nets really having a, a legitimate shot here to to even steal a game. I mean, this is just like the Magic and, and this is just like the Bucks and Magic series, albeit maybe to a lesser extent in terms of the differentiation between the two teams. But on the season, the Raptors won three of the four matchups between these two teams, and they outscored the Nets by a total of 18 points. So it wasn't too big of a blowout overall. Um, but both teams have some momentum heading into this matchup. I mean, the Raptors were 7-1 and one in the bubble games, and the Nets were one of the biggest surprises, going 5-3. and three. And based on betting, they were actually the most profitable team um, during the eight seeding games. If you had placed $100 on the Nets, you would have netted an $1,800 profit. Um, so, Rotom, I mean, the question begs, can the Nets continue their magic and momentum heading into this playoff series? Because I, I'm seeing the Raptors in four, is what I'm seeing. I've got to agree with you there. I think the Raptors trademark, as we broke down last week, is 100% on the defensive side of the ball. Nick Nurse has guided one of the best teams in the league to a phenomenal defense. Uh, they continue to be that so in the bubble. And uh, guys like OG and Adobe and uh, Pascal Siakam are really highlighting that kind of defense and switch all way that they have. And when you talk about Brooklyn, I think there's only one guy you really can talk about, and it's Karis LeVert. And he just so happens to play the same position as OG and Adobe. So I don't, I don't think there's any chance unless Karis LeVert goes absolutely berserk and drops in Kobe-esque 70, 80 points. I don't see Brooklyn managing to escape with any games. Uh, the reigning champs uh, will go on to the next series without a doubt for me. Uh, Raptors in four. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Karis LeVert because, you know, one of our favorite players out of Michigan. And I think he's a he's a lot better at this point in his career where I think either of us or a lot of people thought he would be. And, I mean, we saw what he did on national television against the Trailblazers a few nights ago. 30-plus points almost 10 assists, a handful of rebounds as well. He was carrying the Nets team, and they almost, almost ended up squeezing by the Trailblazers. Um, Levert, you know, obviously he missed that game-winning attempt at the end of the game, but still a valiant effort from Levert. I think that this could be a coming-out party for him in this postseason. Unfortunately, he had one of the best games of his career against Portland, and it wasn't enough for them to secure a victory. And the Raptors are, frankly, better than the Trailblazers. So it's going to take, a, like you said, a heroic effort 
from uh, Levert for the Nets to have any chance of stealing a game, but it doesn't sound like either of us see that happening. No, I don't. And if we could talk a little bit more about Karis LeVert for a second, I think his 6.7 assists per game during the bubble is a big representation of why I think Karis LeVert might end up being a point guard on another team in the beginning of next season. Very excited to see him, especially after both of Brooklyn's uh, best primary shot creators, uh, Dinwiddie and Irving, both got out. It's incredible to see what this young man has to do, and I'm excited to see it somewhere else that's not going to be in black and gray. But... I've already decided two straight sweeps. Let's move it on to the series I was talking about at the get-go, the series that I'm most looking forward to, the star-studded matchup of the Celtics and Jason Tatum at minus 440, the three seed, versus the 76ers, the sixth seed uh, for the Sixers, if you will, uh, that currently sit at plus 320. Why is it so lopsided, you may ask? Well, that's, of course, because Ben Simmons is expected to miss almost the entirety of the series. So we're going to see if the Sixers sitting at plus 320 can take on any matchup they can uh, without their star-studded six-foot-ten point guard. Uh, and if I'm going to start this one as a series I'm very excited for, I I think they can. I, I would not be surprised if they managed to get quite a few games out of this one because, as we've talked about quite a few times in this podcast, one of the biggest problems the Sixers have is that they kind of can't mesh Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons into the same offense. And I think this is a great chance for Brett Brown to really show that he's not just a guy in a suit walking around, that he's actually an NBA head coach. And uh, giving him the options to put out Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Tobias Harris, Jason Richardson, and whoever decides to play point guard, whether it be Furkan Korkmaz or Shake Milton, uh, I think it will really be a good chance for him to show off that he has some talent there. And no matter what you say about the Celtics team, which is very talented, they went 5-3 and three during the bubble, while the Sixers went 4-4, four and four. Um, at the end of the day, they don't have a center. Uh, Ennis Cantor is a power forward. Daniel Tice is a power forward. Jason Tatum is a small forward disguised as a power forward. They don't have a center and definitely not a center that can match up with Joel Embiid. And I think Joel Embiid has the quality and the tenaciousness to play and win multiple games for the Sixers. So I'm really torn here between Celtics and six or Celtics and seven. I'm not really willing to give the series to the 76ers, especially without Simmons, who could have won them a game by himself. But Get ready for what might be a kind of new-look Sixers team that might be a representation of what might happen soon if Simmons were to leave. Frank, how do you think this Celtics-76ers grudge match will turn out? Yeah, well, I mean, on the season, the 76ers were 3-1 and one against the Celtics, so there is precedence for them for them matching up well against the Celtics, but I, I don't even... I can't even go out and say I love this Celtics team because I don't. But I'm just not confident in the 76ers really at all. And I think you made a decent case for them being able to steal a couple games. I actually only see them winning one game because I just think that the coaching discrepancy between Brad Stevens and Brett Brown is, is so large. I mean, I think Brad Stevens is, is just going to run circles around Brett Brown when it comes to X's and O's and clock management and strategy. And the only chance the 76ers have of really making this a six or seven game series, it rests on the shoulders of the guy you mentioned is Joel Embiid. I mean, he has to be playing at a superstar level for every single game in this series for the 76ers to have any shot. And he's definitely capable of it. If he's not the best center in the NBA, he's the second or third best at the very least. And I mean, we've seen it before when he's engaged and when he's healthy, he is nearly unstoppable. And Looking at the matchups, I mean, the Celtics, like you said, they don't have a pure center on the roster, so they don't have anybody 
who can match up with Embiid and slow him down in terms of one-on-one defense. But I just think the Celtics are are the far, far more superior team in terms of perimeter scoring and overall offensive talent. And I think they're good enough defensively as a team where they're going to be able to overcome Embiid's dominance. And I do think Embiid is going to have a, a big statistical series. Unfortunately, though, I don't think it's going to be enough for the 76ers to win more than a game. So while the plus 320 money line is is not the worst number in the world, um, Celtics minus 440 to me seems like the safer bet. Probably the safer bet, but uh, I, I, I just can't go against the star-sided Sixers team, especially with what could be a great team around Joel Embiid. Because at the end of the day, a lot of good defenders, a lot of great shooters. Ben Simmons has been the problem with all those great shooters being kind of all out there. And with Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Shake Milton, Korkmaz, Glenn Robinson, Matthias Thibault. I just think they have such good potential to play four guys on the three-point line while Joel Embiid wrecks havoc on the inside. Because without a doubt, no question with me, Joel Embiid is going to be the best player on the court in every single game involved here. No matter what Jason Tatum does, no matter what Kemba Walker does, Joel Embiid will be the best player here. And if Brett Brown plays his cards right, I think in a lot of games, that's going to make the difference. And and yeah, so in the end, you're going Celtics in five. I'm going Celtics in seven. But I, I would be willing to go on that 76 plus 320. Uh, and that is all based on the X factor that is Joel Embiid. So uh, I guess we'll have to see for that one, won't we? We will have to see. I mean, the key phrase, what you just said, is if Brett Brown plays his cards right. And I'm not willing, I'm not confident that that's going to happen. But if he proves me wrong, so be it. We'll see if his house of cards is going to tumble. We'll move it on to the last series, the coveted 4-5, the biggest series of the East. Uh, And it's another kind of grudge match. You know, the Celtics and the 76ers are notable hatreds of each other. But there is not as much as a fabled hatred story this season than Jimmy Butler versus TJ Warren. And that, of course, is the Miami Heat at minus 300 as the four seed versus the Indiana Pacers, the five seed at plus 250. Frank, I know you're a big fan and watched this game very closely. Break it down for us. Yeah, well, this could potentially shape up to be the most competitive matchups of of all the Eastern Conference round one games. And usually you would expect that out of a four or five matchup. So it's not surprising. But at the same time, the Heat are definitely in a stronger position heading into this matchup. And the Pacers were one of the more surprising and impressive teams in the bubble seeding games going six and two. And obviously the biggest reason for their success was the guy that you mentioned None other than Mr. T.J. Warren, who was going off and suddenly, um, out of nowhere, became a superstar in the making and suddenly went on this torrid scoring run um, in the first three or four games of the bubble seeding. Unfortunately, uh, it came at a cost because T.J. Warren is nursing a plantar fasciitis injury, uh, which is reportedly not serious, and he is expected to suit up in game one. But ask anybody who's had plantar fasciitis i mean it, it's no joke it, it's something that kind of just lingers and bothers you and you know i'm not a doctor so take what i'm saying with a grain of salt but that is the biggest storyline because the pacers are going to need everything they can get out of tj warren in this series for them to have any shot um, but looking up and down i think the pacers are good enough to make this competitive but ultimately i think that the heat are just too strong they're too deep at every position and Jimmy Butler is the best player in this series. And I think that Bam Adebayo is the second best player in this series. 
So the Heat have the better head coach, in my opinion, in Eric Sprolster compared to Nate McMillan. And they have these two best players. And for that reason, I'm going Heat in five, although I could see Heat in six potentially. I like how you said that because I'm actually a little bit in the other direction. I also have Heat in five, but I could I could see a sweep purely based on how locked down Jimmy Butler was on TJ Warren. And I think one of the biggest problems for the Pacers, and I'm a known hater of the Pacers uh, purely because I don't like Nate McMillan's style and I don't like much of this team. But putting that aside, I just don't, I don't think I can see a way in which this team can really hold itself together uh, against Jimmy Butler by himself. Because the biggest problem with the Heat all season has been who's going to score if Jimmy Butler gets locked down. And that's the only way to stop them. But I don't, I don't see anyone on this Pacers roster that can stop Jimmy Butler. And therefore, I don't see there's I don't think there's a way that they can stop their offense. Um, and that that's quite simply it for me. I, I think all season, every game the Heat have lost has easily been because Jimmy Butler was somehow contained, deferred, and not a second person can step up. And it's something that people for a long time have been saying that the Heat will need a second star to really step up. But the Pacers have that same problem where they don't have that second star. They barely have a first star, but I guess TJ Warren's filling that role right now. Well, Victor Oladipo remembers who he is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm going Heat in five, two purely on a basis of maybe miles Turner will go off one day and by him. will just kind of be tired or something. I I'm throwing them a bone, but I I'm, I'm liking heat four more than I'm liking heat in five, but I'll stick with heat in five. Yeah, I think we're both on the same page. I'm just willing to to give the benefit of the doubt to the Pacers just because of how good they've been playing recently. And if TJ Warren is is even 75 to 85% of the player that he was um, in the seeding games, I think that the Pacers are definitely in a much stronger position. But, you know, I, we've sung the, heat, the Heat's praises on this podcast for weeks on end now. So, I mean, there's no going back on that. And I don't think either of us would say that Pacers plus 250 is the bet here to take. I think Heat minus 300 is definitely the safer option. But, uh, you know, Rodan, one other factor that, that we could think about is the overall point total in these in this series. I mean, to me, this is looking like I'm, I'm envisioning quite a, quite a few low-scoring matchups. I mean, if you look at the two bubble games that these teams played against each other, 206 points combined in the first game, 204 points combined in the second game although in that second game um, the majority of the starters did not play but still um, I'm not seeing many high scoring games in, in this series what do you think I think the under is probably gonna hit a lot and it's exactly what I was talking about earlier with Jimmy Butler being the only scoring facilitator for the heat unless guys like Kendrick Nunn Tyler Hero Duncan Robinson really step up in the backcourt I just don't see a way in which yeah, the Jimmy Butler heat uh, score a lot of points and I think the same thing can be said about the Pacers. You know, Warren is a good scorer, but Aladipo hasn't been breaking 20 on a regular basis like he used to. And Aaron Holiday and Malcolm Brogdon just aren't scorers. They're playmakers and they are very specialist roles. So I, I don't see a lot of scoring potential in this game, though if you like grit and grind basketball and zone intelligence and two coaches really going at it in very opposing systems, this, this should be an 80s-style matchup of near let on a lot of games not where a lot of teams don't break 100 but i'm you know I'm, I'm with you right there a lot of unders to be taken in this round yeah i think it's definitely going to be a grinded out series but uh i definitely think that heat are going to win so before we move on to the western conference should we go ahead and just briefly recap uh how we think the east is going to shake out 
Yeah, sure. You know, I'll take my takes. You can take yours. Uh, but for me, um, I'm sticking with for the first two seeds, the one and two Bucks and Raptors. Both are going to sweep their opponents, the Magic and the Nets, respectively. Uh, the next two series for me are definitely going to be the most interesting with the three six of the Celtics versus 76ers. I'm still going with Celtics in seven, but really, I this is really the best bet for me if you're going to take one of the one of the underdogs and it's going to be the 76ers here plus 320 because I'm going Celtics in seven. It's just the closest one. And for Heat versus Pacers, I'm going Heat in five, but it's the exact same thing as the Celtics. I see them going the other way. Uh, and Heat in four is probably a little bit more likely for me. How do you see this breaking? Yeah, I mean, we both have Bucks in four, Raptors in four. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I would be very surprised, very, very surprised if either the Magic or Nets uh, managed to pull out a victory. Um, Celtics in 76ers, I'm leaning a little bit in the opposite direction. I have Celtics in five. I don't see this going more than six games, although I do think you brought up some good points about the upside with the 76ers at plus 320. Um, and for Heat Pacers, uh, like you, I'm going with Heat in five. I think it's going to be a pretty competitive five games, but uh, I think the Heat are just a better team with a better coach. And there you have it. So I don't have any series in the East in round one going more than five games. So that it is what it is. Is, but hopefully as we switch it over to the Wild Wild West that are still playing in the East, uh, we'll hope for a few longer series, but I don't think we'll find it here as we go to the other 1-8 series, and that's LeBron James and his Los Angeles Lakers, who aren't favored as much as Giannis and his Bucks, uh, sitting at minus 500 versus the 8th seed, the freshly crowned 8th seed of the West, beating the Memphis Grizzlies so, so, so sadly in a very last-minute attempt. God damn you. Mellow, I will never forgive you for that. But yeah, it is Mellow, Lillard, McCollum, and their Trailblazers at plus 395 here versus the Lakers. You know, I'm 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 I gotta I gotta reminisce a little bit about the fact that my Grizzly season are over. So Frank, take this one. Yeah, I mean, listen, you take your time over there to grieve and, and take as much time as you need. I think everyone understands. Um, but yeah, I mean the trailblazers have been the talk of the town around the NBAs right now. And there's a lot of buzz um, from some pretty high octane names like Charles Barkley and some other guys on TV who are going as far to say that the trailblazers could potentially pull out an upset here in round one against the Lakers. And if you look at how each team's performed uh, in re performed in the bubble, the Lakers were three and five while the trailblazers were in six and two, obviously led by superstar Damon Lillard who won MVP of the seeding games, averaging 37.6 points per game, including back-to-back -back games of 50-plus points. Lillard has been on an absolute tear. Um, looking at the season stats overall, the Lakers won two of the three meetings between these two teams, outscoring the Blazers by a total of 23 points. I get the angle here that the Trailblazers have a chance to pull off an upset. I understand why people are saying that, but... I'm not on that train. I don't see any way in which the Trailblazers are able to slow down LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I think that the Lakers supporting cast, while it concerns me, it concerns me a little bit heading into the deeper part of the postseason. I think the Lakers supporting cast is good enough for them to get out of this first round matchup in five games. Rotom, your thoughts. All right. Now that I've had time to grieve, I can really reminisce and, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I just think that the Lakers' dynamic duo of LeBron James and Anthony Davis are just not one that the Lakers 
are not one that the Trailblazers can cope with. Yusuf Nurkic is obviously, aside from Lillard, one of the biggest stories of the bubble uh, and deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in the front court of this Blazers team. But there's just no way you're stopping a guy like Anthony Davis and uh, on top of that, a guy like LeBron James. And there's just no one on that team that can stop him. Sure, Melo is currently playing at the three, but Melo at this age and Melo at five years ago, neither one of them could stop LeBron James. So I don't think there's any hope in LeBron not just overpowering Melo and averaging a solid 27, 28 points in this series as he has been a whole season. Uh, but the key in this one is Anthony Davis versus Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, and that's kind of it. I mean, the, the defensive side of the Lakers has always been their guards uh, between Alex Caruso, Deion Waiters, uh, Caldwell Pope. They're all guys that I think will take a big step up for Lillard, but don't be surprised to take those overs on Lillard points every single night on those player props, because guess what? He hit the over on seven out of eight of those games. In fact, a crazy, crazy wonder for me as uh, as we look into this current record for NBA points in a playoff series is Michael Jordan's famed 63 points. Crazy prediction. I think Lillard easily has a chance to go ahead and break one of those. I mean, he already broke his career high with 61 points against the Mavericks, and that was his third 60-point game in the season. You're telling me all he has to do is hit one more three and becomes the all-time leading point scorer in a playoff game? I have absolutely no doubt that Damian Lillard, a man on a mission, can go ahead and do that. But uh, that won't help anything because that might be the one game that the Trailblazers win. And like you, I'm going uh, Lakers in five. Lillard's going to will their, his way into one game, but no one else on that team can really push that Lakers team as they should. An easy advance for the minus 500 Lakers. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's not much else to be said about Damian Lillard. I mean, it has been Dame time in the bubble um, to the fullest extent. Fortunately, that can only take the Blazers so far. It took a heroic effort from Lillard to get the Trailblazers to squeak by teams like the Nets and the Grizzlies. Um, it's going to take all that and then some for them to have any chance of getting by the Lakers. Um, but Rodham, you know, you talked about how individually Lillard is going to score a lot of points. I totally agree with you there. But I think it's also good to point out that looking at the over-under on total points in this series, unlike the Heat and Pacers series, I think we're going to see a lot a lot of high-scoring matchups. I mean, look at the three games between these two teams in the regular season. Point totals of 249, 248, and 246. So you can you can be assured that the over-under lines are going to be quite high, but I'm I'm willing to go on the over on almost every occasion. I don't know about every occasion. Uh, one of the biggest things I would watch actually is uh, Damian Lillard's Twitter and anyone that's tweeting at Damian Lillard because as he's shown over these play over this bubble game and throughout his whole career, he's uh, the king of social media and branding himself. So if by any chance Anthony Davis gets a good block on him to end one of the first few games, I wouldn't be surprised if the next night out is that big night that I was talking about from him. Uh, I just if, if there's any sort of emphatic anti-Damian Lillard slander by any player of the Lakers. I would be ready for a Damian Lillard breakout, much like Michael Jordan in many of his games. If he hears anything bad, he is ready to fight right back. And I don't know if I'm taking the over every time, but if that were to happen, easy overs every single time. Well, the big name to watch uh, before we get on to the next matchup, uh, Skip Bayless. I mean, if if you've been on Twitter recently, you know that Skip Bayless and Damian Lillard have been in a little back and forth a little verbal beef, if you will. And uh, Skip Bayless says a lot of things on Twitter. He's very active on Twitter, and and he's not shy about trolling any athlete, uh, whether it be LeBron James or Damian Lillard. And he's definitely been fueling Lillard's fire a lot um, over the past couple of weeks. And if that continues, 
uh, I expect Lillard to to go off. Yeah, uh, well, you know, things of an even better question. You know, known LeBron hater Skip Bayless and known Damian Lillard hater Skip Bayless, two of his least favorite players going up against each other. Let's see which side he takes. Uh, but speaking of players that Skip Bayless for some reason dislikes, let's go and move it over to Kawhi Leonard and his Los Angeles Clippers on the other side of L.A. that are actually still playing in the Magic City. Um, and his minus 650 second-seeded Clippers are going up against probably the best seventh seed I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the number seven, Dallas Mavericks, sitting at plus 425 on this 2-7 series. The whole story of this matchup has been that these are some of the best games of this season. Any Clippers-Mavericks game this season has been an all-out brawl between Luka Doncic and Kawhi Leonard, with Luka averaging 29 points per game versus the Clippers, while Kawhi averages 31 points per game versus the Mavericks. Uh, they played once in the bubble with the Clippers ousting them 126-111 to on top of a 3-0 for the full season. So not a great time, especially with the Mavericks going 3-5 and at the bubble. It's not... A great time to be a Mavericks fan on top of Kristaps Porzingis looking like he's may not play the first game or he's going to play limited minutes for the first game, which is going to start off for bad news for them. But I'm really having a hard time taking these Mavericks out of the playoffs, quite frankly, because if if the argument for the Clippers is it doesn't matter what's going to happen in the fourth quarter, Kawhi Leonard's going to win us the game, which is essentially what was the Raptors game plan in a lot of games last year. I think the same thing can be said about Luka Doncic, and I wouldn't be surprised if Doncic power overpowers Kawhi every once in a while. Uh, now that Doncic has even more time under his belt and a fully healthy roster, which he didn't have in any of the prior three matchups uh, against the Clippers, so I don't, I'm not really sure about how I'm making this prediction because I do say Clippers in the end are going to take them, and that minus force, that minus six fifty is definitely the way to go if you are going to bet on this series, but. There, it's just it's just no way that I don't see this Mavericks coming out with one or two games uh, back on their end. So I'm going Clippers in six. Uh, purely based on Doncic probably outplaying Kawhi in every few games. Maybe Porzingis coming in and stepping up against Paul George. Um, I've liked a lot what the Clippers have done, but the Mavericks are just a team that I, I just can't. I can't do it. I can't, I can't tell myself that they're going to lose that many games to a team that has so many holes. What do you think about this matchup? Well, you know, Rodham, it certainly sounds like you're being pulled in quite a few different directions there. For me, I'm only being pulled in one way, and that is the Clippers are going to win this series, and I don't think it's going to be all that competitive. I understand that Luka Doncic is great. I mean, he's a superstar. There's no other way around it. Unfortunately, I just think this is a bad matchup. This is a bad matchup for the Mavericks team. I mean, they struggled against the Clippers in a big way all season long. They were 0-3 against the Clippers on the year, outscored by a total of 33 points. So the Clippers' average margin of victory against this Mavericks team was double digits. And I don't necessarily think that the Clippers are going to win all these games in the playoff series by double digits, but I think they're going to finish off the Mavericks in five games. I just think that this Clippers team is so well-equipped for for postseason play. I mean... That's been the storyline all season long is that they were kind of just half-assing their way through the regular season in preparation for the postseason because when the playoffs began and the lights were shining the brightest, the Clippers were going to be ready to roll and ready to make a championship run. And I think that the stars are aligning for that to happen. And it starts here in round one against a Mavericks team that 
really has no chance of slowing down Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in my estimation. And I think that if you're going to pick any team that was most well-equipped to slow down the highest scoring offense in NBA history, which is what this Mavericks team was, I think it's the Clippers. I mean, they are the best perimeter defensive team in the league. They can throw multiple bodies at Luka. And if they even slow him down a little bit, I don't think this Mavericks team has much of a shot at all. Not to mention that for as good of a coach as Rick Carlisle is, Doc Rivers is just in a different tier, in my opinion. They're getting Montrez Harrell back into the fold, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit. Uh, they're going to be at full strength there. And I think it's going to be Clippers in five. Uh, I could see this maybe going six games if Luka plays out of his mind enough to steal a second game. But uh, Clippers in five for me. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. And it's it's just so obviously Clippers. I, I, you, I like a lot of what you've just said, but at the end well, of you know, the I day, appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I appreciate a lot of your commentary and uh, it's a very important, but um, I, I kind of disagree with the very last thing you said there was with that. If they can stop Luca, they kind of have the game in hand, but I disagree. What Doc Rivers is going to do, and it's his game plan anytime they face the Mavericks, is throw PG and Kawhi at Luka. Uh, but that leaves Kristoff Porzingis kind of open. I think this is his debut in the playoffs, and I think he's got to make a big, big move here. And I think he did that with a 30-point outing on 9 of 19 shooting in the last of the Clippers. I guess that was without Montrose Harrell, but this is the team that has a very weird chemistry, especially in the fourth. And Montrose Harrell is going to be the guy playing the five in those fourth-quarter games uh, next to Jermichael Green. Uh, Beverly, George, and Leonard. And I think that that new addition in a few of those games might throw them off a little bit, which is what I'm hoping for when I call here for the Clippers in six. But you're right. I definitely agree with most of what you said. There's no way the Clippers lose the series, but I do see it going all the way to six. Probably not farther than that, though. Yeah, I mean, either way, if it's Clippers in five, it's if it's Clippers in six, this is a must-watch series. I mean, you have, depending on where you stand on the, on the top 10 player rankings, I mean, you have three potentially top 10 players. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, Luka, Paul George, and then you also have Kripstops. You also have Porzingis, who's top 20, borderline top 15 player in terms of talent. And you have, like I said, the best offensive team in the NBA versus perhaps the best defensive team in the NBA. So there's a lot of storylines and a lot of talent on the floor, and uh, that's going to make for an entertaining watch regardless. It will. Uh, quite possibly not the most interesting uh, series, though, uh, even though as much as we talked about them, the next two series might be the most interesting. And we're talking about talent on the floor. The two teams that absolutely cannot be matched with pure talent throughout up and down their roster. And it's going to be the two teams going up against each other here in the 3v6. Uh, it's going to be the Nuggets and a brand new skinny center slash point guard Nikola Jokic in his minus 210 odds. Versus the Utah Jazz at plus 175. This was almost my pick for my favorite matchup that I'm looking out for. And it's because I really like the Jazz and I really like the Nuggets. Um, but it's it's hard to choose which one I'm going up. Especially with that absolutely fantastic game they played against each other that went to double overtime. That so closely went to the Nuggets uh, way of going. Which is the story of every game they played this season. It's been 3-0, but... Very tight games in every single matchup. And that's because up and down, these teams are just so talented. Every single position is great. Um, but I'm going to have to go here with a Nuggets in five. Um, and that that comes down to, A, the player I mentioned earlier, Nikola Jokic. Uh, the new skinny Nikola Jokic, who is 
in my mind, essentially a brand new player. I don't know if you've seen him. Uh, even with Michael Jordan Jr., who's done fantastically, Jokic averaged 25 points, 13 rebounds, and 8.4 assists as a seven foot one guy that barely speaks English and is pretty fat. Um, I can't wait to see what he does in this brand new body that he has. And against Utah, that se- this season, he's also been about almost 30 points per game, 12 rebounds, and nearly nine points. I wouldn't be surprised, and if it becomes one of those bets, I wouldn't be surprised if Jokic averages multiple triple doubles throughout this series, especially against Rudy Gobert, who's really drawn out against Paul Millsap here in what is Mike Malone's great plan against the Jets. And fundamentally, I think these two teams match up very well, but the way that Mike Malone versus the way Quinn Schneider handles it is just so much better. And for that reason, I, I say Nuggets in five. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell will grab one. Uh, another thing to note here before I throw it over to you to find out yours, Mike Conley will be out indefinitely due to the birth of his child uh, that is projected to be right between games one and two, but he will likely miss both of the first two opening games, barring a late birth. Uh, so good luck to uh, Mr. Mike Conley Jr., uh, the former captain of the Memphis Grizzlies. God bless you. Yeah, and, you know, good luck to Mrs. Conley as well. Best, best wishes for her in the birth of her child. Um, she's really going to need to push. And the Jazz are also really going to need to push if they want to have a chance here in this series. And if the Jazz were at full strength, I think they would have a decent shot here, actually, of pulling off an upset here. Um, And the plus 175 is not a terrible number. Unfortunately, they're not full strength. I mean, like you said, Mike Conley, he's going to miss at least the first game, probably two games and, you know, potentially even three games. And they're already down their second leading scorer on the season, Bojan Bogdanovic. And we saw in the bubble that they're just not the same team without the offensive firepower that Bogdanovich brings to the table. I mean, they were three and five in the bubble games. The Nuggets were also three and five, but I'm more confident in this Nuggets team heading into this matchup. Um, You said Nuggets in five. I can definitely see that happening. I'm going to go ahead and say Nuggets in six. And I think that, like you said, these two teams have been competitive in their matchups all season long. And Dating back to last season, if you look in the postseason, the Nuggets, both of their playoff matchups against the Spurs and Trailblazers went seven games. I mean, this isn't necessarily a team that is built to blow other teams out. They kind of play close games, and they kind of grind out games down to the wire, and they're able to execute late on the backs of guys like Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, and that that's the formula for them. The biggest X factor in this series, I think, is Michael Porter Jr., I mean, Michael Porter Jr. has emerged in the bubble as a, he looks like a future superstar. And this is the player that everyone expected him to be when he was coming out of high school and and when he was going into the NBA draft. I mean, he has been nothing short of fantastic um, over the past couple weeks. And if Michael Porter can continue to play at this level, I could see Nuggets in five easily. but I'm going to go here and say Nuggets in six just because of the style that these two teams play. I think these games are going to be close. I think the Jazz are good enough to pull out two games, and I think it's going to be it's going to be competitive all the way around. But in the end, I am rolling Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain High is a good place to be, but as we finish here with the last series that we're talking about, it's, I think, going to be the hardest one to call. A little bit controversial between the two of us, which is going to be uh, the most interesting one because we've yet to disagree on a series winner at this point. Uh, but this might be the one that breaks the Campbell's back uh, as Chris Paul, Shike Lizius Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder, the tri-headed dragon that leads this point-guarded offense of the Thunder, go in at plus 155 versus their compatriots in red, 
a true red blushes blue matchup that's going to be great to see was James Harden and his big beard lead the Houston Rockets at minus 135 into this series. They're going to be without Russell Westbrook for the, at least the first two games and could potentially miss more due to a strained quad that is going to hamper his playing ability, but not to fret. There is no doubt in my mind that Russell Westbrook, the face of the Thunder franchise for the past 11 years, uh, is going to want to get his hands in this game very quickly. Uh, aside from his general beef against the Kurt franchise at the moment, he's going to have some beef against the guy he got traded directly for. That's going to be Chris Paul, uh, who might be the biggest, most impactful player that's going to lead them if they do get it. Now, I'm saying this game goes to seven games, no matter what. I, I don't care which side you think is going to happen. This game will take seven games to decide who is the better of just a series full of hate, passion, X factors, just angles, so many ways to cover this series. And there, there's just no doubt in my mind that it's going to take seven to manage to get them out. Who wins in the end? At the end of the day, when the lights shine brightest and the game is on the line, you look at the guy who's got an MVP trophy in his shelf, who scores 35.3 points in the bubbles, not to mention, as I said last week, the 15th highest scoring season in NBA history, even with a two-month drought of scoring less than 25 points per game. The team with four 40-point scores during the bubble, it's going to be James Harden that I'm looking to to win this game in the end in the end of Game 7. That's, that's why I'm going Rockets in 7. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a compelling case. I mean, James Harden is, is without a doubt, the best player in the series. And if Russell Westbrook is on the court, I mean, there's a very good argument to be made that he's clearly the second best player in the series. And at minus 135, I'm not going to pretend that the that choosing the Rockets here to pull out the series is a bad bet. But for me, you know, I'm I'm a big upset guy through and through. And I think that there's got to be one surprise there's got to be one upset in the first round of the playoffs and i think the thunder overcoming the star overcoming the rockets in round one is is the way to go i mean at plus 155 to me betting on okc here is is the best bet out of any of the potential bets in this first round of the playoffs and i think that the thunder are very well positioned here to come out of this series with a victory i think it's going to go seven games as well but I think that this is the Chris Paul revenge series. I mean, the Rockets, they basically chose Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul. And it's hard not to fault them for going that direction. But Chris Paul has quietly been having a fantastic season. I mean, he's taken on a leadership role for a rather young Thunder team. And a guy we talked about last week, Billy Donovan, has done a terrific job as the head coach of this year's Thunder team. And he has really put the pieces together. And... It's definitely, this matchup is definitely a contrast of playing styles. I mean, the Rockets led the NBA in three-point attempts to the surprise of nobody, chucking up a whopping 45.3 threes per game, while the Thunder, they only shot around 33 pointers a game, which ranked all the way down at 27. And for that reason, I'm not really sure which direction these games are going to go. I mean, I'm envisioning some high-scoring games as well as some low-scoring games, but when it boils down to it, I've said all season long that this Rockets team is extremely volatile. They're not shooting threes at an efficient clip. They're beatable. And in fact, it's hard. It's nearly impossible for them to win these games if they're not hitting their threes because they're giving up so much size on the defensive and offensive side of the ball. They're basically willing to sacrifice rebounds and willing to give up two-pointers 
and and they're countering by just shooting threes and and that's their formula and i think that steven adams and danilo gallinari are going to have big series down low in the paint for the thunder and i think that the combination of chris paul and shy gilders alexander and dennis schroeder i think that that point guard trio they're going to get enough production to counter what james harden is going to do and what russell westbrook will do when he returns to the floor and I think the Thunder at plus 155 are going to pull off an upset here in seven games. So here's why I disagree with you. And I like a lot what you said, but I think one of the things you said is one of the most biggest fallacies that have been true since the All-Star break when the Rockets created their system. And it's it's about the fact that they get beat in the interior. And a lot of people will talk about how the fact that they're Nova Center, they have P.J. Tucker, who is P.J. Tucker. I don't think there's any other way to label him. People forget that when he comes back, Russell Westbrook is not just a point guard, not just a great scorer, not just a great assister. He is the best point. He's the greatest rebounder at the number one position in the history of basketball. Not since Oscar Robertson have we ever seen anyone that good. And I dare say that Russell Westbrook is better at it than the big O was. Uh, and that's why I'm not I'm not too concerned. Sure, Stephen Adams is a great rebounder, but guess what? He's not very good at scoring in the paint, and neither is really anyone else in this Thunder team. They are last in the bubble with field goal percentage in the paint with just 50% of their paint shots going in, which is abysmal. The league average is 62. They are 12 percentage points worse in the paint than any other team in the league. They also rank second to last in general paint production, yielding just 39 points per game to their series. I just don't think that this whole myth that the Rockets are going to get beaten down low is going to happen. I love Billy Donovan. I think he's a great coach. I professed that incredibly last week. I spent like 20 minutes ranting about how great Billy Donovan is. But guess what? His team is built around point guards. And the Rockets are built around stopping three-point shooting point guards. And not just three-point shooting point guards, outside-the-box shooting point guards, which is every single player on this Thunder team. I, I agree with you. Steven Adams is probably going to have a big game, probably hitting around 15 to 17 rebounds at least per game. But I'm not scared to Danilo Gallinari, and neither should the Rockets be with uh, with Rocco covering his ass. No one in the three position is scaring me, I guess, on either team. But the big matchup here for me is that James Harden is going to outscore all three of the Thunder point guards in every single matchup. And when Russell Westbrook comes back, that rebounding advantage is going to disappear. So I think unless the Thunder manage to grab three games in the first four, truly before Russell Westbrook comes back to full strength, the Rockets are going to be, are not even going to be in a problem here. I think versus most teams in the West, yeah, they're going to have that problem versus the Lakers, the Clippers, and any other team, but we'll get to the next round next week. But versus the Thunder, this is a great matchup for the Rockets to have landed into a team that isn't going to be able to find their weaknesses. And that's that's just why I find the Rockets a good good bet here. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good case. I mean, you said, you definitely said a lot of things that I agree with. Um, ultimately, you know, I, I, I want to see an upset happen. And I think the Thunder out of all these teams in the first round are in the best position to do so. I like the way that they've been playing all season long. I think this is going to be a wildly entertaining series. I mean, for both of us, this is the only series that we have in the first round going to seven games. And I think that it's definitely the most likely out of all the series to go seven games because these two teams are just so different in style. And I think it's going to balance each other out. And um, I'm going to be glued to the TV whenever these two teams are playing. And I'm going to be pulling for the Thunder in every game because I want that plus 155 to come through, not just for me, but for the listeners who were willing to ride with what I had to say. 
Well, I guess that's a, that's a big deal when uh, Sunday, August 30th, the projected Game 7 will roll around. We'll see who uh, who is who is right and who is wrong here. Uh, we might even tweet about it when the Houston Rockets end up beating the Oklahoma City Thunder. But we'll have to see how that breaks down uh, between those. Uh, shall we recap the West? Yeah, let's, let's say we do. Let's say we do. You want to go ahead first? You know, I, I would love to do that, Rodham. Thank you. So, you know, I have the Lakers... Winning in five games, overcoming Damian Lillard in the Portland Trailblazers. And I have the Clippers, the two seed, overcoming Luka Doncic in the high-scoring Dallas Mavericks, also in five games. I have the Nuggets overcoming the Jazz in a 4-2. to two. I have the Nuggets overcoming the Utah Jazz in six games, winning in a 4-2 to two split. And as I just said, Thunder plus 155. Pulling off the upset over the Rockets in a wildly entertaining seven-game series. Yeah, I mean you're taking you're taking one big leap, but I am staying rock chalk over here. Uh, I agree with you over there. And Lakers in five, the Blazers will definitely get one. And the biggest bet I think I'm making of this whole time is definitely this MJ bet. I I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of his player props that my uh, Lillard will in fact set the playoff record. 63 is the number to beat. He already got 61. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets one more three in there. Uh, Clippers versus Mavericks. I'm going Clippers in six. I have a true belief in Luka Doncic. This is his first time in the playoffs, so I guess that that might be the big reason there. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to be able to pull off some games for them. Uh, Nuggets versus Jazz. I'm a little bit more on the Nuggets side, purely on the Mike Conley and this weird mishmash offense that the Jazz are running. So I'm going Nuggets there in five. And I guess the one we're flip-flopping on, Rockets in seven. Absolutely no doubt in my mind that the Rockets are going to come away in this game. I also have no doubt that it's going to go to seven, so I'm pretty confident on both of those, but the Rockets are winning the series. Yeah, well, you know, we it's nice to see that we disagree on something because, you know, we, we agree on a lot of things. And great minds certainly think alike, but uh, discourse is healthy, and I think that in this... Yeah, well, you know, we'll let you off free here. Uh, we gave you a bit of a long one last week, so we'll cut it short. But throughout this week of magnificent playoff basketball, as you're looking for teams to bet on, unders and overs, player props galore, make sure to check out our Twitter and our Instagram at PlayItPod. You can check me out at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, where can the listeners find your beautiful info? You can find me on Twitter at FrankJP0. And I am not on Instagram. If you see an account with my name, you're getting catfished. Ooh, and we'd never want to see our listeners get catfished, so we're hoping for all of your stake. Don't get catfished this week.